Hello and welcome to the Course in the Chaos. This is, uh, well, I am Jack and this is Grayson here with me and Blake is not with us for this episode. I, I think he's busy, Grayson. Did you hear what he's what he's doing? Yeah, I think he's doing some super manly stuff right now. Like uh, from what I know, he's, you know, backpacking through the Swiss Alps and trying to hunt down the last of the orcs there. Oh, okay. I, I heard he was swimming from Numenor to Middle Earth. Oh, okay. That's that's what he told me. I mean, me. that would he seem pretty a, fitting. Yeah, that would seem fitting for Blake. So, um, so kidding aside, this is a bonus episode. This is maybe the I think it's the first bonus episode we've done. I think so. so if you've been listening to yeah, if you've been listening to our podcast thus far, all of the episodes have been really geared towards the theme of the church and some topics kind of centered around that. This one is a one-off. It's just a bonus episode. Grayson and I are both big nerds. We both love uh, <laughs> Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, so we thought we would do a a little bonus episode here on the rings of power. And, uh, it's been out for, I guess, three or four weeks at this point. I've seen four episodes. Grayson, you've seen three, right? Yeah, I watched three. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Much to the chagrin so of just... my wife, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she's, so I, I really enjoy Tolkien, right? She is a super nerd with Tolkien. And so this whole thing came out and she's like, I'll never watch this stupid show. And, uh, she's a, cause she's, cause she's, like a purist, oh, like, is that what you're saying? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's an extreme. So she, she was upset that I watched it. She's like, you know, I thought we had this, this camaraderie where you were just going <laughs> to silently hate it with me. And I'm like, well, I, I kind of have to watch it. You had the Tolkien pact. I, uh... you, you went back on your Tolkien <laughs> pact. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I love Tolkien. Um, I, I respect that. I totally respect that. And I get it. I can turn my brain off and watch things. Like I, I have that ability to do that, and I was prepared to do that with with uh, sorry, uh, women of power, rings of power, sorry. women of power. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's um, pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, but all that being said, my expectations were pretty low. Um, let, let me do a quick disclaimer. So, if so, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the show. Um, there's if you've not seen it yet, you know, spoiler alert, I guess. Although the other. Nothing really happens. Like the show is incredibly boring. So I'm no, I don't know what we'd be actually spoiling. Yeah, well, like it's not- <laughs> and if it if it helps your heart be at ease too, uh, none of this is technically canon because they didn't get the rights to anything beyond some of the appendices and you know what's already released by the Tolkien estate. So, right, yeah, the, yep. little free yep. tidbit so, for you. Yeah, which is true, and that I think that plays into part of our part of our review like it's it's kind of a, an influence for the bad but uh, anyway spoiler alert so if or spoiler warning if if you haven't seen him and that matters to you maybe watch the episodes and then and then come back to this so but uh okay so i guess by way of intro you may have guessed how i feel about it um by some of my comments but but uh, Grayson, maybe just give me what what are your thoughts? Kind of general takeaway since you've watched. I guess you blitzed three episodes. Here. Yeah, so I I blitzed through three of them literally just so that way I could speak to this without just being that guy, that total Chad meme that's like, no, I hate this, and I didn't watch any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was that was me to begin with, but I I did my due diligence and I watched three episodes, and I I was thoroughly unimpressed. I mean, it wasn't as bad as I thought it could be but it certainly wasn't anything that I thought was really all that special or enjoyable. You know, they, they had a massive budget on this thing and I looked at it and I kept, I'm like, okay, so where did they actually spend all that money? 
Um, Did you see what it was? I meant to look that up before we recorded this, and I forgot. I think it was something like $500 million, and then they had to pay so would, okay. an extra $250 million for, or towards the Tolkien estate for the rights to just write on the Lord of the Rings. Wow. Yep. So, I mean, massive, massive amounts of money. Um, but when you look at it, I think it didn't go towards the writers. It didn't go towards purchasing different rights that they, they just couldn't get, right? Um, I think... If you had to look at it, the thing I'd say it went into is probably like CGI. I mean, the CGI in it is is actually pretty well done. Um, I'll give it credit for that. But yeah, so, some of it I thought some of the I won't say the costumes are great, but the production quality in the CGI and sets and environment I think is really cool. Like, um, I guess if, in episode three you saw Numenor, correct? Yep. Yeah, I thought that was well. Done. I thought that was beautiful. Episode yeah, three, I thought that though, was beautiful when they brought out the warg. I thought that was. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty like, bad. Are we watching Monsters Inc. here? Like, what? What the it, heck happened? It, it, it looked like something from often early two thousand sci fi. Yeah, it was pretty bad TV show. Like, it was really bad. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with you. It wasn't. So my expectations were pretty low to begin with. I just didn't expect a lot. Um, but I will say one thing: I'm thankful for. I was worried that they were going to go the Game of Thrones route and make it just vulgar pornography. Like that, that was an option, and they didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, re- aside from some from violence and stuff, it's relatively clean, right? Like in terms of content, so it wasn't as bad as that. And I'm thankful they didn't do that, um, and I didn't go into it in the because some people were were coming to it from a I'm going to hate this no matter what perspective, which I understand. I went into it trying not to do that. I tried to give it its fair, recognize it can it can be its own thing, <laughs> right? Um, but at the end of the day, my general impressions are it's just hollow. Yeah. Like it is just so hollow and wooden and contrived. Like there's no substance to it. There's no depth. Yeah, I think that you hit it on the head. It, it was meh all the way through it for me where, you, I mean, you have a fantastical realm filled with magic and wonder and splendor and beauty and goodness and truth, all those different things. And when you watch this, like none of that really comes through. Um, it's just kind of this empty shell of a land where I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it just relies on so much pure nostalgia um, from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings that you have these weird tropes that are kind of played throughout it, but they don't ever actually take that and develop that in any unique way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got, I want to come back to that later because I've got some thoughts on that. But before before we do, you, you put up a put together an outline for this little bonus episode that I thought was pretty good. And um, I think, you know, maybe the theme here is, and you put this in here, I think it's a good one because if we, if we think about what rings of power is, all it does is really highlight the fact that there is a lost art of storytelling and, and rings of power, like is the quintessential (laughs) example of that, of like modern storytelling. This is what it thinks it is. Right. So, um, but before we jump into that, maybe you want to comment a little bit on why, because some people may be asking if they've, if they don't, I mean, they clearly, most people don't clearly know us that we're Tolkien nerds, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know what, they may have come into this episode, they listen to something like, why are these guys, they've talked about the church and all this stuff for, <laughs> yeah, why, why a ring, what, like rings of power episode in like, the middle of that? Yeah. Like six hours of the church. And now we're talking about rings of power. Uh, what, why would you say this is a, a topic for us? Yeah. I mean. As I sat down to kind of think about this, um, 
the reality is that our God is a God of stories. And what I mean by that is, I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, you have narrative, right? You have narrative, you have all sorts of different genres that are written in the Bible, but specifically, even in light of just the story of redemption or the gospel, as we would call it, you can look at it as this grand meta narrative of all history, all time, moving towards a specific goal and end. So one of the ways you can even speak of the gospel as you're evangelizing to people is that you talk about it in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, what I mean by that, obviously, creation and fall, those are pretty straightforward. That's Genesis 1 through 3, God created. It's the very first words in the Bible. Um, fall, obviously, is when Adam took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then sin entered into the world and death subsequently, and our adversary and Satan. And then from that moment on, in Genesis 3, you have the Proto-Evangelium, where um, Christ is promised, and literally the anticipation from then on out is that one would come who would make an end to sin, death, and Satan. And so that's the story of redemption, right? When we see that in its fullness is when Christ comes and he dies on the cross, takes our sins. Um, but the story's not over. Just in his death, burial, and resurrection, what we hope for, this is the substance of the Christian hope, is that he's going to come again. And that's literally the restoration of all things. So Amen. In, that, in that big scheme you see in the Bible, there is just this grand story that God is telling and that he's weaving all throughout time and space. And we have the privilege of being part of that. But I think when we look at that, we can see that um, not only is God a, a God of stories, but he's a God of good stories, right? Like the best story that has ever been uh, written, so to speak, is contained in the scriptures. And from that, I think we can we can learn a few things about the essence of stories, if you will. Now, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't want to make it like a gospel coalition type of thing where it's like, here we're going to find the <laughs> the gospel silver lining in this. <laughs> I just threw away my outline. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but there's there's certain elements we should be able to look at all stories and see. Um, there's transcendent principles, right? So one of the things, I know you and I have started talking about this more just because of classical education, but yep. the idea of goodness, truth, and beauty reflected in stories. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's, to me, that's one of the things that sets... Tolkien and Lord of the Rings specifically at near the top of the pyramid in terms of just great works of fiction, right? Yeah. And it's so beloved because there's so much virtue in it, like the, from top to bottom, from character uh, and practically every character, the entire narrative in, in, in a way that I can think of no other fiction book ever manages to cram in um, every meaningful virtue. Yep. Right. It, it's just in there. And, and, and I think what, you know, what's what, when you think about comparing that to, um, uh, to rings of power, you know, if you think about some of the characters in, in Lord of the Rings, you know, you've got Aragorn, Aragorn, excuse me. So there was, he, he was seeking justice. There was peace, honor. There's that nature of kingship. Um, Samwise is a, beautiful display of fortitude, you know, Frodo as self-sacrifice, temperance, courage, wisdom. Um, and I, and I actually wrote an article about this a few weeks ago, but, and one of the things I say is, and, and it's really true about Lord of the Rings. And to me, this, this is, this is pretty comparison. If you're comparing Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power, 
the characters or the good characters in Lord of the Rings often do the right thing because it is the right thing as defined by God's law and moral code, objective moral code. So even in the face of pure evil and when the odds are stacked against them in every way imaginable, the characters maintain maintain a deep conviction that goodness and providence will prevail over darkness and evil. And it's, and it's, you know, it's these virtues that I, that I mentioned kind of offhand there and several more that, that you could, you could go on for a while about that make this novel so influential, timeless and epic. And, and again, it goes back to what you said, great stories, great narratives, the best of narratives somehow capture transcendent virtues and are inherent and just pregnant with goodness, truth, and beauty. Yeah, I think it it's really at the heart of why we have stories that will transcend culture and time, right? So you think of books like the Odyssey, um, Sophocles, the Greek tragedies, all that kind of stuff. There's there's elements within it. I mean, some of them are are downright horrible stories, um, but in the midst of it, you can see just the, um, I guess, the excellence even of the skill of these writers, where they can they can craft tragic stories in such beautiful ways and be able to turn a phrase or use a metaphor in such a brilliant way that um, it strikes at the heart of mankind. It, it reveals that human condition that I think we're all prone to, but it also, they can stumble upon some aspects of truth that God has just generally revealed to all mankind. Even though these are you know pagan works in many ways, um, you have people that'll still stumble upon the truth of what God has revealed in nature, because that's just part of what God has done in natural law, Romans 1, right? So what I look at today, though, and especially as I, I thought of Rings of Power is, I mean, literally, we're in a we're in a unique time. We're in a weird day and age where um, much of what passes as entertainment today is just eye candy, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's just eye candy. There's still, there's so little put out today has substance. And I think, and this is this is the point I wanted to touch on because it's specific to Rings of Power, but I think it's kind of true, generally true for most of entertainment today. Um, because the culture largely, and I would say Hollywood, right, lumping them in that, because Hollywood, the entertainment culture, is not being built on a foundation of what I'll call Christian philosophy, right? This this creation, uh, I'm sorry, Christian worldview of creation, fall, redemption, because they're growing up in a world, these writers are writing uh, novels, fiction, whatever it is, without a framework coming to it from a creation, fall, redemption, uh, uh, Judeo-Christian worldview. Because of that, it's fundamentally flawed. Like, they they, they lack the, the foundation that would be required to, to begin to... Um, uh, how do I how do I want to say it? They lack the foundation uh, from their upbringing that would help them bring out these virtues and whatever it is they're creating. And and I and I'll give you an example. So um, I was this is something I saw. I was reading some reviews and some guy said this, and I was like, yes, that's a really good point. You know, in some ways, because of that, uh, Rings of Power, if I had thought about it, was doomed to fail before it was ever made. And I think a lot of Tolkien people would say that, right? But one of the reasons is if you think about what the writers had to work with, and these are guys who, again, who are growing up in a postmodern materialistic worldview, likely. Um, Tolkien, the the Jackson uh, uh, trilogy, had the actual benefit of having Tolkien dialogue from the books, 
Like he could just put those in there. And he did. Like, and I'll give you an example. One of the be- most beautiful lines. And if you just listen to it, it's poetic. You know, Frodo uh, says, and this is a pretty famous line. He goes, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies with, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given to us. It's a beautiful line of the book, right? It's a very famous line. But Tolkien was one of the greatest linguists the world has ever yeah. seen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the guy literally you know, wrote the Oxford English Dictionary. He did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, he was one of the brilliant. greatest linguists. So you're going from a script that's being derived and, and built off a guy who is arguably the greatest linguist of all time and or at least written one of the greatest books of fiction of all time to guys coming in to write a script that have some loose outline from some appendices with no um, Judeo-Christian worldview going into yep. it. So you get, on one hand, you have Tolkien giving Jackson beautiful poetry to work with on top of an incredible narrative packed with transcendent virtues to a room of guys in the Amazon basement uh, writing things like... The sea is always right. Uh, the sea right. is always right, yeah. <laughs> Oh, like, or that's the, the comparison right in the here. beginning um i can't remember galadriel's brother's name but he, he gives that horrible metaphor i mean it's literally a metaphor that doesn't oh, work the, about the, the rock sink the the, yeah whatever yeah, that i mean was. you could change it out with any material known to man and it would still make zero sense but i'm like if that's how you yeah. open this show and that's your i mean that's your hook right that's how you're grabbing your audience i'm like good grief this is just bad yeah um it, but they but in some ways i mean i fault them because it's bad but in another sense, is it was doomed to fail from the beginning. Like, how can you compete with Tolkien? Yeah. Like, how can you compete with what Jackson had to work with? You just can't. You, you can't. But I think the pity of it is, I mean, what they what they lack in skill and script, they tried to make up for in just, again, that visual eye candy. Um, had they put, I think, more effort towards actual, you know, mimicking of his style, they might not be able to do it perfectly, but... If you have people that will literally analyze it and study it, I mean, there's people that get paid to do that, by the way, but you can do that and you can mimic his writing style and then actually use genuine poetry throughout it. It it could at least mimic the feel. But again, all I kept thinking of all throughout it and all sorts of different, we'll touch on this a bit, but literally it's a hollow representation of Tolkien's work. Um, Yeah. It's just so wooden and empty. Yeah. So, for us, the question that we, we keep coming back to is why, right? I mean, we can go on and on about uh, the different, the skill of the writers or the skill of the actors, um, even if you wanted to get into the CGI and all that kind of stuff. But what we're concerned with more so is just this idea of really what's the worldview behind it that's shaping it. Uh, I mean, you, you said it right in the beginning, that there's that lost art of storytelling. And I think that's indicative of our culture on a broader scale, right? Rings of Power is not the only story that's been told in the past decade. That's just bad, right? I mean, think of what the complex, or I should say the entertainment complex, is seeking to do is not, you know, tell great stories, but to produce something that's lucrative, right? It's it's geared towards money. It's a product to be sold. Um, and so it's not about the art anymore. And goodness, truth, and beauty are not the concerns. What's concerned is, or what the concern is, Shock. It's like shock value or CGI or yeah, it's you know what, how can we get people in? I think that's why the Marvel yeah. franchise is so successful. Is because you're looking; it's the same 
you know, basic rehashing of a story over and over and over again. It's a formula that works, in other words. And then they just make millions upon millions of dollars. Um, the hope was that they could do it with this, but I don't think you can with Tolkien's work because it's intrinsically born out of a Judeo-Christian worldview. So Exactly. What we're going to try and do just briefly here is is we're going to use Rings of Power then as a foil or rather kind of a representative, if you will, of, um, I guess, what we would call maybe the entertainment industry issue. I, I don't know how that there's no there's probably a clever phrase there, but I'm not quite with it. So that's what we're going to go with. Um, <laughs> there's there's three. You know, there's some hang on. There's some there's some analogy here to the rings. In the Lord of the Rings, like being distributed among men, and the greed and the power that consume them, and then oh yeah, fall. there you go. <laughs> if I if I were smart enough, I could eloquently. Well, see, you actually you actually eloquent that. <laughs> we're they need better writers. As we're just bumbling over our words. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, there's some analogy there, and someone smarter than me could piece yeah. that piece that together. You can tell we're very good on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> So what we were thinking about, though, is that there's kind of three basic categories. Um, I think the first one probably takes a little bit longer to set up and talk through. Um, the second one does as well, but the third one's pretty quick. Um, the first one, though, would be we've lost a sense of transcendent truth, right? I mean, you talked about this in your article, so why don't you talk about that a little bit, just what you brought out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on a little bit in the introduction. They, we've... We've traded largely as a culture, and we've traded this idea of in, uh, inherent transcendent truth and virtues for values, right? Where it's not about what what types of what in a what in a person's character is represents goodness, goodness, truth, and beauty. What about that is transcendent? That it's objectively good and true because God has ordained it such to be versus personal preference or personal offense or subjective truth or my values tell me this or your values tell you that it's it's i mean it's all it is is a playing out of this postmodern society right and and what what you have here is and we'll use an example take a galadriel or as blake has said many times guy ladriel yeah. uh galadriel you know, she she's portrayed rather different than she appears within within the lore of the books. Yeah, and and in this movie, she's a feminist trope. Like it's it's she. And here's an example. So I I listed off right all those uh, handful of virtues that are that are present from Aragorn and Frodo and right and all these things. It, it seems to me at least three to four episodes in, the driving quote unquote virtue for Rings of Power is revenge yep. from a feminist. Yep. Like she's just angry because her brother died. So well, and that's there's not nothing even good. In, what happens in the Silmarillion? Like, right. So, right. Already, you're already way off track. But yeah, yeah. Keep going there. Sorry. Yeah, but her, yeah. No, no, you're good. But but it's just it's a feminist trope, right? And her character and her demeanor demeanor of the Lady of the Wood in in Lord of the Rings, she's poised as elegant, um, beautiful, powerful, like this whole thing. But in Rings of Power, she's guided by vengeance. And um, yeah, and, you know, perhaps perhaps there's a redemptive arc there. I'm sure there will be. Right. But the fact still remains that the driving motive for the entire show right now is feminist revenge. Yeah. I mean, it's so contrary to 
what Lord of the Rings has been, which is just the idea that good triumphs over evil, right? I mean, that's just a radically different thing. Um, I thought of it too as, I mean, you have, I think in some ways that the people that made uh, Rings of Power did a decent job portraying that kind of contrast between darkness and light um, thematically. And what I mean by that is you could see it visually on the screen. And they played that up actually quite well. The problem is that in Tolkien's world, these are two very separate worlds. I mean, darkness cannot inhabit the same realm as the light. And then you have things like, you know, Galadriel's brother. Again, I can't remember his name. Um, he he gives Galadriel a little pep talk in the beginning because she's kind of confused. She doesn't really know. Uh, you know, sometimes it's confusing to see good from evil or darkness from light, as she says. And he goes, sometimes the way you can tell the light is by touching the darkness. And I'm like, no, um, <laughs> that's, no, that's again, not, these, it's not how it these works. are elves. They're, they're incredibly wise creatures in Tolkien's lore. They're, they have a sense of innocence, if you will, where they, um, I don't want to say they go about with kind of an indifference, but there's almost that indifference even where, um, they're masters of their domain, but they do so in a way that's again, kind of poised with elegance and trying to master creation with goodness. They're a good expression of dominionism, in other words, I'd probably say. Um, but here he's like, no, you got to touch the darkness a little bit to see what's really true and good. And it's like, that's just completely contrary to the nature of elves in Tolkien's lore. And really, when you look at Tolkien and how he set everything up, all right, I mean, that's, to me, that's a clear allusion to like John 1, where talking about Christ being the light of the world and separate from the darkness. But, the you know, the men did not love the light because they love their darkness, which is their sin. Uh, that's me very quickly paraphrasing John 1, by the way. But um, right. the concept is much the same where there there are two different worlds. It's not that they bleed over into one another and there is gray. And I think that's a complete reflection of our postmodern culture or post postmodern culture where so much is that gray, where people are trying to make moral issues gray and transcendent truth issues gray, uh, gender issues gray, gender roles gray gray everything as much as you can there's just that kind of weird nebulous middle ground that they try to throw everything into and it's that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth but in tolkien's world black and white are very clear and the the orcs are evil sauron is evil uh, the elves are good right um, men can be divided but there's that corruption in the heart of man that he plays very very clearly um, dwarves can go right into the greed, but at the same time, there's those transcendent virtues that you touched on earlier that are always lifted up as the supreme example of what's, you know, white, so to speak. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, that's what you put it really well. Like that, that example of the touch, the darkness in rings of power, like that is just so anti-biblical and anti-Tolkien. Right, it's just it doesn't work in Tolkien's in Tolkien's world, uh, Middle Earth, and that universe, whatever you call it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say. Oh, I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! You go. All right. I um, what I was gonna say is even when you have uh, the lore, um, right, the the evil and everything that's born out of. Um, Valinor and into Middle-earth is all a reflection of dissonance, right? So from the get-go, you have clear and 
understandable reasons why, you know, if quote unquote sin in Tolkien's world would have come about. Whereas in Rings of Power, it's just kind of there, right? You have elves as kids picking on each other. And it's like, I don't, I just don't, you know, over petty things, I don't see that being part of what they would have done necessarily based on what they're depicted as, right? But they, even if that was the case, they don't really give a foundation for why that's true, why that is the case there. Because Valinor is kind of depicted as this um, paradise, right? But as a result of the fall within Middle-earth, or not Middle-earth itself, but within the land, then they go to Middle-earth and so on and so forth. But the, the broad point I'm trying to make is that in Tolkien's legendarium, there is an actual origin for evil. And in Rings of Power... Again, it's just kind of this, it's almost like a, um, I don't want to say Taoist, but there's that balance of good and evil that's always kind of just been there, right? That's that's almost yeah. how they portray it. Yeah, yeah, they do. So I, I wanted to give, I actually thought, I, I didn't think about this until we were recording, but um, we, were talk, we were talking about uh, Guy Ladriel, Guy Ladriel, I'm going to keep emphasizing that, and, and the... Um, and one of the problems that Rings of Power has is, that, and I, I made the joke earlier, I said it intentionally, but Women of Power, the Lord of the Rings, the Women of Power, because, and you, you haven't seen episode four yet, it gets worse. Like this nature of strong leading women, it like amplifies in episode four. Um, but one of the fundamental problems with it is a lack of strong male lead, right? There, there's no strong male virtuous characters and I try and I started to think back like what was what was a good movie for example that came out semi-recently that demonstrated this well and you know the one that came to mind we actually you and I both like this yeah movie. quiet place uh yeah yep. you go, yeah there you go you pick it yeah quiet place so if you haven't seen that movie it's a great movie it is a scary movie it's like a thriller slash horror movie um so be warned but the movie up, up and on itself is fantastic and I'm not even one that I typically like horror movies. But what's incredible about this movie um, is the whole premise of the movie. There's these – I'm not giving you anything away. You couldn't really tell from the trailer. But there are these uh, creatures or whatever they are that uh, kill people when they when they make noise, right? And the whole movie is about a family and a dad protecting his family, being virtuous enough to step, to step up and figuring out how to protect his family from – the face of fear evil. And he just goes to all these creative, very clever ways, self-sacrificial ways mm-hmm. to protect and care for his family. It was a great film because of that, like a truly moving film, which is odd to say in kind of a horror movie, but it just was. And you contrast that and they're totally different movies. Some, you know, I get that, but are totally different things, but rings of power has a huge fault. There's no, good, strong lead male, male yeah, characters. Yeah, not at all. And I'll add that no, nothing. In Lord of the Rings proper, um, it's all it is, is strong, is great, strong uh, male lead characters. Well, and so, even within anyway. that, they, have, they still have strong female lead characters, right? You have Eowyn, you have Galadriel. They're, they're just, they're poised as actual women. And that's, I think, in our culture, it's just, you can't have a woman act like a woman. Um, God forbid. That's a sad thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think of that. Absolutely. So, I mean, the worldview of Tolkien was decidedly Christian. And and by that, I mean broadly, right? We know he was Roman Catholic and we would, as Protestants, especially Reformed Protestants, disagree. Um, 
pretty vehemently with him on so salvation and stuff like that. But the worldview is that Judeo-Christian worldview um, is what I'm speaking to. And that literally infiltrates everything that he wrote. So I think of that and how it plays out even in Rings of Power. When you try to you try to rob from that worldview, but you don't embrace that worldview. <clears throat> um, what comes of it is that there's no sense of those biblical illusions being made. Instead, there's this weird like cultural allegory, um, which Tolkien hated allegory, by the way. So, he oh, did. big time. I mean, it, yeah, he and Lewis used to like <laughs> get at it about that because Narnia, the Narnia stuff is so out. Chronicles of Narnia is so yep. allegorical, yep. and Tolkien, <laughs> Tolkien hated that. Yeah, but. You know, when you look at Rings of Power, um, there was there's like like weird political or racial allegory that's being made within uh, Numenor with the elves and all that kind of stuff. But what I was thinking of through the whole time is that they try to mimic a lot of stuff that they saw in Lord of the Rings, right? Um, we touched on it a little bit earlier with that nostalgia aspect, but all of it is that they missed the point of why they were there in the first place, right? So think of um, Aragorn, right? You talked about that. He's he's kingly, he's virtuous, and he's brave. Especially in the book, he's even different than how Jackson portrays him. Um, but you have this Numenorean king who's in Rings of Power, very much like Aragorn, which I thought was kind of funny because they wanted to do their own story, right? They they coined it as the book that Tolkien never wrote, um, and yet you have all these kind of mimicked <laughs> characters. <laughs> <clears throat> but this guy, he's like a, a fake Aragorn. Or yeah, Hal, Halbrand, is that his name? Yeah, something like about? that. Dis, discount. Yeah, he's Aragorn. the great value Wish, Aragorn. Wish.com. Yeah, <laughs> there Wish.com Aragorn. Yep. Yeah. So he, he's without like that regal kingly authority or nature. He's a reluctant king, but he's um, he's literally just kind of a putz in many ways. <laughs> he is. He is a putz. And then there are the Harfoots, yeah. which are clearly, what are they, like ancestral hobbits, I guess. Yeah, I they've, they've got to be. be. But, but, but without much of what makes you know hobbits lovable. You know, hob- the thing that makes hobbits so enjoyable. And one, all of this, one of my favorite parts of all of the movies is like the first 30 minutes or so of, of Fellowship of the Ring. Because Jackson does such a great job of like, this is the Shire. And it's such a warm, uh, cheery, kind of carefree place where they're focused on good food drink uh love a good story like they're just happy kind of salt of the earth people yep. right and the harfoots are the opposite of that yeah they're really strange <laughs> oh you broke you broke your foot good luck buddy yeah, sorry you're just gonna, <laughs> we'll we're gonna leave, leave you, behind. you behind and if you die you die you know it's like <laughs> dolph longram from rocky <laughs> It totally is such a weird, like, why did they do that? I don't, I don't get that at uh, all. It's such a weird thing. I don't, and I like, don't they're, know. they're like, uh, mig- migrating people or something. Like they just pick up and move. Con- like it's some weird thing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's so, I didn't have a problem with that so much where they migrate. I'm like, okay, I guess perhaps you could build some lore where they settle down at some point. Um, you know, there's no hard foot in Tolkien lore, but it's like they came out of somewhere, right? But how like cold and cruel they were. What's well, just they're yeah. singing, um, or or they're not even singing. They're actually just talking about the people that had died in past pilgrimages, and they're like, "And we will never forget you." Yeah. Next, <laughs> as one guy's about to die, that's in their group. Yeah, 
Yeah, so such a bizarre thing. And then uh, another interesting relationship, and I'll, I will say this: this is actually my favorite um, thread of the story that they've got going on thus far. It's the one that's most tolerable to me. Uh, Elrond and uh, Fake Gimli, what's his name? Durin, yeah. Um, fake Gimli. It, it is a little, yeah, Fake Gimli. I mean, it's clearly it's like, hey, we can be fresh and original. But let's make them think of uh, Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, come on. Like, why are you trying so hard? Um, but again, you have the relationship. Well, to me, is the best part of the show so far. It's still all it does is they make their own story and make it try and parallel the other ones so much that all it does is remind you how it's not that thing. Yep. <laughs> you know, like that's all it ends up accomplishing. Like you try and be so nostalgic and so original at once and it just doesn't work. So, but their friendship is, is funny. Like you, you put it here in the outline, you know, it doesn't really show a genuine faithful friendship, um, which, and maybe, maybe it'll develop into that, right? Like Legolas and Gimli don't start off that way, but it develops into it. So maybe there's hope there, right? Maybe that'll turn into something, but it's still, it's just a weird gimmicky relationship that they that they threw in there to try and be like hey remember this yep. remember what you saw well it was like um when the the hobbit trilogy came out right i mean they that was bad as well i thought because they stretched that one really too far the first one i actually enjoyed but the second two it's like you could have done this in two movies and it would have been yeah they, much better if they made if they made two movies it'd have been great and cut out all the all the yep. fat but go but ahead. you had um Gosh, who was the, the love interest in that movie between Kate Beckinsale as the elf and then um, one of the dwarves as well? I think Feely or Keely. I can't remember which one. I can't. I haven't watched those in so long. Yeah. Because, but I know what you're talking about. There was like an elf, uh, like a weird elf uh, relationship yep. thing there. I, yeah. yeah, that was there. They also had that weird orc that was, you know. The white orc? Yeah, it's like, that was never part of the book, but okay. Um, so I, I look at stuff like that, and it's like, I can I can cut Rings of Power a little bit of slack and some of this stuff just because people did it before, and it's like... But again, I think even that was kind of a cash grab with The Hobbit, where instead of doing a faithful artistic rendering of The Hobbit, it's like, okay, we can milk this sucker for all it's worth, right? You know, the, I totally agree. You know, the one thing that... It, because I haven't watched those in years, I just didn't enjoy them. But maybe it's in the Battle of the Five Armies in the in the last film of that. The one thing I remember is the final fight between I can't even remember who it was between now. Um, what whatever the case, the thing I remember is the big final battle at the end between the two two characters that they highlighted at the time lasted what seemingly forever, <laughs> like. Like it was like a, it may not, it may not be 20 minutes, but it felt like 20 minutes watching it because they're just, they, to the point they've, they've stripped away artistic value from whatever was in the original book and just decided to make it. People, people like fighting and CGI. Let's give them more of that. <laughs> hey, like, hey, there's Bjorn again. He's coming out as a bear. <laughs> yeah, there you go. People like bears. Let's give more yeah. bears. Well, you remember how that happens in the book, right? Uh, it's been for the Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Bilbo literally just gets knocked out and then he wakes oh, up yeah, at the end he, of it. Yeah, he does. That's right. And see, so in the book, you don't even read about the battle. It's just done. <laughs> yeah, because then he goes to see Thorin. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah Thorin's right. dying and it's like, whoa, what yep. happened? I guess for a movie that's kind of anticlimactic, but um, 
the the other thing I thought was interesting too was how they portrayed Valinor, um, right? So you have Valinor, which is essentially I wouldn't quite classify it as heaven. It's like paradise, if you will. It's maybe Eden or something like that. That how the Bible would portray it, but it's this place where it's free from much of the troubles and the, the you know misery of Middle Earth, if you will. And in Rings of Power, it kind of gives a similar vibe to it. Um, but they don't, again, kind of have an awareness of these biblical illusions that are being alluded to. So when you have Galadriel being sent back to this thing, it's like, for one, I mean, that's just how it wasn't how it worked out. Nobody was just sent back. The elves actually... Yeah, it was almost like punishment. It was like a punishment was. for her, which was a well, weird thing. It was thing. a weird was political like, power grab where they're like... Yeah, you're being re- you're being relieved of your command. Like, it's what, yeah, it, was, what it, was. The, it was. It was the elves were acting like men, right? So, but that would never be a thing I think that would happen, um, for one. But for two, when you look at it, it's like um, the elves in the lore specifically stayed back, again, for the purpose of good overcoming evil. Like, that was their purpose of not going back to their land and staying in Middle Earth was that they could stand and fight and that they could, you know, ward off the orcs and whatever powers of evil that were hung around. Um, so it was, it was weird just because you have Galadriel forced back, but then they don't really build an idea of what this place is, even in a minimal way. Um, they don't really give you an idea of why she should want to go there or why she should not want to go there besides personal vengeance and so when she flips out and leaves, it's like, okay, cool. Now apparently she's going to swim in the great ocean between the two. But yeah, can I can I can I just say something about that? Yeah. Her jumping into the ocean, presumably being prepared to swim like I don't know five thousand miles. <laughs> I don't know what it is, right? Like, who knows what it is? Is really, really stupid. Okay, that's all I had to say. Yeah. They could have at least written in the eagles there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, they could. I I just can't, like, how did you, how did that even get passed in, like, a storyboarding session? How can there be a group of people sitting around a table be like, hey, what if she she just swims back? Like, I I, I just. No, somebody's like, you know what, that's really unbelievable. So we'll have her stumble across a ship. Because obviously that's what yeah. will have to happen. Like, yeah. And on the ship, we'll have her meet Aragorn or fake Aragorn. Fake Aragorn, Aragorn yeah. Right of course. Know. Fake Aragorn. So. Of course. Well, yeah. the, the last point yeah. we were looking at here was just that uh, in light of all these things, right, I think we we live in a time where we've lost the Judeo-Christian culture, right? We live in a, a post-Christian America. And I would say, you know, obviously England was before us on that. So they're a post-Christian country right now, too. Um, But when that happens and you have a storyline and lore and everything else that's intrinsically built out of this worldview, um, it's kind of in a weird place, right? So these guys are trying to come along and and tell a story born out of this culture that our culture no longer wishes to even be part of. They want to reject every bit of it. And so when it comes to – that's where I think you hit it on the head where you said they were kind of doomed to fail. I think this is a big reason why um, our our culture has rejected anything of transcendent truth or biblical virtue, uh, anything to do with just metaphysics of looking at the spirit and the body of a person, right? So when you've got these 
natural conclusions and stuff like that being drawn out in things like Lord of the Rings from Tolkien's works, of course, what do they even do with it? They have to reject it almost in order to appease the crowd. What's really, what's really sad is, at least it's sad to me, is they, and I would, I would consider this, you know, part of being made in the image of God. There's an element of the general public. I mean, the people, people, non-Christian like love Lord of the Rings and they love Lord of the Rings because of these transcendent values that then they ultimately deny in their own lives <laughs> and won't and won't project like it's such a it's such a broken worldview that you love these things when they're portrayed to you because you recognize some part of you recognizes that self-sacrifice is a beautiful worthy virtuous thing that strong male king, kingship that that justice that all these things are beautiful things that tran- that are transcendent like there's some part of the of these people that recognize that and that's why they love lord of the rings yep. yet they're incapable of owning it enough and recognizing it <laughs> such that they can put it into a story yeah. that's called like it's such a weird weird thing i i think what it is is people they see it as as they should in that ideal world right that's what it represents is just that true ideal world um and yet they recognize that they don't live in part of that world. And so for them, it is pure fantasy. There's no way the world can function like that. Um, the, re- the sad reality is that, it, you know, not necessarily that it can because of the presence of sin, but that's God's ultimate design with it, right? And so when you see a, a story from Tolkien that's kind of recreated in our day and age um, where everybody wants to reject those principles of truth and how they reflect in their life, Ultimately, what you're going to be left with is a secular uh, revisionist Lord of the Rings. That's yeah. it, right? It's going to be devoid of everything that made Lord of the Rings special in the first place. Yep. And you end up with a high-budget, wooden, hollow representation of Lord of the Rings, and that's Rings of Power. So um, are you going to keep watching, or are you, are you done? Oh, I think I'm done. <laughs> I might, I might, just so that way I can give it a full fair shake. But at the same time, it was really pretty, just the, and it, it it was again. If in my mind, I'm like, okay, if you removed Lord of the Rings from this, so it wasn't even about that at all. It was just a random story being told. Would I still watch this? And I'm, I have to think, I'd probably just give it up because I was, I was yeah. bored with it. Yeah, it is boring. Yep. It's legitimately boring. Yeah. I'll um I will probably at least finish the first season. I I'm not going to make it a point to watch it when it comes out or anything. I may wait a few like a month and and chip away at it cuz I'll I'll just I want to see what they do. I'm there is a tiny tiny piece of me that is optimistic um that they'll redeem something in it. But man, it is not good so far. I mean, I I've seen cuz I've seen one more episode than you. I'm and they're a little over an hour each episode. So I'm like, what, four, four and a half hours in. And it's just gotten worse. Well, it's like at some so, point, you just have a better use of your time. Yeah, that's <laughs> I true. I hate to put it like that, but at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right. Well, I think we've said all that can be said about Rings of Power. I, I think I might add just one more thing. Oh, you got something yeah, else? Okay, if, what's if that? If I could just leave us with the sage wisdom of a certain theologian. Um, 
When we think of all of this, we must remember that it is true that we must bring the gospel to Middle Earth. But we should also recognize how much the Middle Earth brings the gospel to us. That's none other than Tim Keller, folks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, just wow. sagacious that wisdom. Is, wow, that is, that is heavy. I'm going to be thinking about that <laughs> all night. <laughs> We did it. Another Tim Keller joke. At some point, that's going to stop being funny. Yeah. But until that day comes. It today, is not this day. Today is not this day. <laughs> uh, this All is right. when everybody cancels and they're like, these guys are too much now. Yeah, they're they're terrible. Well, it'll be better when Blake gets back from training his pet quails. So yeah. it'll be better then. <laughs> All, right. All right. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.